0: Welcome to the Grace Church's podcast. The message you are about to hear was recorded live during our Sunday service. Follow along with the message by downloading our app, available for both Apple and Android phones. And now, for our message. Second Chronicles chapter 20 is where we're going to be this morning, Second Chronicles chapter 20 we are doing this series of messages called, What Happens When We Worship? And this is, the, believe it or not, the sixth week in the series. And we've been talking about, we've been answering that question many different ways. We've been answering that question regarding, you know, we, we're, we're participating in what's going on in heaven. We're answering that question by, by understanding that when we worship, we become like the object of our worship. In our case, when we worship, we become like the Lord. We take on His qualities and perspectives and priorities. When we worship the Lord, he releases his power and he releases his presence into circumstances, into geographic areas. Looked at 2 Chronicles chapter 6 a couple weeks ago where the, the Ark of the Covenant was coming into the temple for the very first time and as the priests and Levites worshiped the Lord, the Lord filled that space with a cloud, the glory of God. They couldn't even stand up to do their ministry because of the presence and the power of God. Last week, looking at how when when worship is offered in difficult circumstances, Paul and Silas being in a jail in Acts chapter 16 and not able to free themselves, you know, sitting in the inner prison, it says, with their legs in the stocks, about midnight they begin to pray and to worship the Lord. And as they did so, an earthquake suddenly took place that broke open the, their bonds and opened the doors of the jail. They were set free. We worship God. His power and presence are released spatially, but they're also released circumstantially. Right where the need was, God showed up. And I was thinking that I didn't probably emphasize enough, and I just want to draw your attention to the fact that even though Paul and Silas were set free, the scripture says that all of the prisoners were let, uh, were let go. They were all freed. All of their bonds fell off. All of the doors of the prison came open. That when we worship the Lord in difficult circumstances, in trying crisis-like circumstances, we're not the only ones who are impacted by that praise and by what God does. The people around us are as well. And sometimes that takes place in in a really small area and sometimes that takes place on a grand scale. But either way, others are watching you. Would you turn to the person next to you and say, others are watching you. They are watching you. Not in a weird, creepy way, but in a... Let's see what they do with this hard thing that's happened to them. And I think as believers, we often get so focused on making sure we have the right answers. Like, I like to have the right answers. I like to know what to say when someone asks me, especially a hard question. But as much as I like to have the right answers, it's more important for others to see in me the right response to difficulty. You can memorize all the right answers, but if you, in the hour of darkness, in the inner prison, like Paul and Silas, can't lift your eyes and lift your heart and lift your voice and begin to worship, it it kind of outweighs the fact that you knew all the right answers. And the, the opposite is true as well. If in that moment I can say, I know that my Redeemer lives. If in that moment I can say, as the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul longs after you, O Lord then you are saying something about the God that you serve and how he will show up and he makes himself known in those deep and dark places. Our worship is a witness, especially when it's offered in times where it's not easy. Our worship is a witness. You worshiping in hard times is a tremendous message to those around you. As I said, sometimes it takes place in small settings, but this is the week where we're going to talk about where worship takes place in a large setting that uh, that alerts the nations of the world to the the reality of who God is and just how much he does for his people. Because to be sure, the enemy of our souls does come to us in those prison-like situations and whisper to us lies and deception and accusation in quiet, small, private, unseen spaces. But he also is capable, as we're going to see in this text, of launching a full-on frontal assault, loud and intimidating and fierce. And in those moments, I would say that we probably need not just a Philippian jail playlist. In those moments, we need songs that we can shout from the mountaintops. Not the, not the scratchy voice because I've been beat and I'm sitting in a jail and I can barely form the words and say, oh Lord, you're beautiful. But standing on the edge of a mountain, facing the hordes of hell that want to come and destroy to declare a victory cry in the face of that. Sometimes you got to have loud songs. That's why God created cars with stereos. So you keep those windows up so nobody else has to hear you and you sound, whatever your favorite singer is, that's what you sound like when you sing with them going down the road. With the... You ever, sometimes it's like, I just need some quiet, peaceful Jesus time with the, the music really low. And sometimes that's not going to cut it, right? Sometimes it's got to be loud. Sometimes I got to tell myself, this is what I believe. I will believe this regardless of what's going on around me. And that's kind of one of those stories that we're going to look at this morning. So, Lord, open your word to our understanding as we go to 2 Chronicles chapter 20 this morning. Lord, impact us, change us by your living and truthful word. In Jesus' name, amen. What happens when we worship? Let me answer the question again this week. What happens when we worship is this. We engage in a warfare that is spiritual. Worship is Warfare. Whether we realize it or not, whether we think of it that way or not, whether that seems right or or seems like it makes sense or not, it makes no difference. The truth of the matter is, is that when we worship, we are enjoining a warfare that is unseen. It's spiritual. It's not physical, but it is happening all of the time. All around us, all the time, there are wars taking place. And warfare is, I'm sorry, worship is one of the best ways, probably the best way to enjoin that battle. 2 Chronicles 20 is one of those chapters that we could literally spend months on. There's so much richness in this particular text. It is is not just about worship, although it is about worship. There is is good teaching on spiritual leadership, on unity within the body of Christ. There's power in prayer. There are many things in this particular text. We're not going to read it all this morning. I'm going to kind of intermittently read and summarize. But I want to encourage you, if you've never read 2 Chronicles chapter 20, Read 2 Chronicles chapter 20. This is one that you bring your highlighter, bring your pen, because there's plenty of things to underline and to, and to grab hold of. Great truths in this passage. Let me start by just reading the first four verses. 2 Chronicles 20, 1 to 4. This is out of the ESV. It says this. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites and with them some of the Menuhites came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea. And behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, that is, in Gedi. Verse 3, Then Jehoshaphat was afraid, and he set his face to seek the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord." Judah is the southern kingdom of Israel at this point. Israel got split into two, Israel and Judah, northern southern. At this point we're we're talking about just the southern tribes of Judah. Or J- Judah and Benjamin, they are there and they are doing really well. If you read back in 2nd Chronicles the chapter 18, you see Jehoshaphat do some really just some really knucklehead things. He does some really not smart things. And then he kind of learns from his mistake and when you get to chapter 19, he makes a whole bunch of really good decisions in a row. And I can I, I think when I read 19, it's like Judah as a nation is moving in the right direction. There's spiritual health. There's positive things going on. There's obedience to the law. He's making uh, different folks go out and teach the people so that they will be obedient to the, te- to the ways of the Lord. So everything is going good. And then in chapter 20, everything starts to fall apart. And before we talk about that, I just want to say this. If that's your experience, know that you are in good company. If you feel like, man, things are really going good, I'm not here to be a negative person. However, I believe, personal conviction, that the enemy seems to target people that are doing pretty good. Like, I'm really getting my act together with Jesus. Raise your hand if you ever feel like you're getting your act together with Jesus. Like, for me, it's about 10 minutes long. But for those 10 minutes, man, I just like, woo, I am doing it right now. It's almost like when we really start to move in the right direction, the enemy just throws everything at us. And that's what you see in this text. 19 good things are going on. 20, it's like, we're, you know, we're serving God, and we got the temple, and everybody's like, what? There's these three armies that are going to come and attack us. Out of the blue, just decide, we don't like Judah anymore. We're going to try to destroy it and wipe it off the face of the earth, which kind of is the history of the people of Israel. But anyway, they just decide, we're going to just wipe these people out. They hear of the impending attack, and I love Jehoshaphat's response. I'm going to talk a little bit about it in a bit, but I love that, first of all, that it admits that he was afraid, he was afraid. He didn't just kind of like stick out his chest and act like he wasn't unsettled by this development. He was afraid, but what did he do with his fear? He turned his fear into a fast. And he called the nation to begin to seek the Lord in worship, seek the Lord in prayer. They began to just go for it. He brought everybody there. They're at, Jeru- at Jerusalem. The people of Judah are there, and they begin to pray. Well, I'm going to summarize the next chunk of Scripture between 5 and 15. Basically, what happens is, is that when all the people come, Jehoshaphat begins to pray. And in his prayer, he rehearses some of the promises that God has made the people of Israel, made the people of Judah. He, he reminds the Lord, which this is never a bad thing to do. By the way, don't think when you're reminding the Lord of something like I sometimes think that people do that because they feel like God forgot. That's not the reason we do it. He knows the Word. He is the Word. He gets it all. But it is good in prayer to say, "Lord, this is what Your Word said, and I'm asking You to honor what Your Word has said." And so He said, "Remember, Lord, when we came into this land, this promised land, we, You wouldn't let us attack Moab or Ammon or Edom, because they were technically because they were related to us. We're not. We didn't attack them. And now, out of the blue, they've decided they're going to wipe us out. Lord, help." One of my favorite verses in this whole chapter is number 12. If you want to underline a verse, this is the one. At the end of the prayer of Jehoshaphat, he says this. He says, Oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. It is a fantastic verse to pray. If I had a dollar for every time I prayed this verse, I would have more dollars because I regularly pray, Lord, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. I look to you. I look to you. After that, it's a prophet, I'm sorry, a priest that begins to prophesy, the Holy Spirit comes upon me, he begins to prophesy to those that are gathered in Jerusalem, those that are there with the king. I want to read to you what he says, starting in the second half of verse 15. This Levite who is prophesying says, Thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jirel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. We should say amen there. Amen. All right. Do not be afraid. Here he is again. Same thing. Do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. Verse 18, then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all of Judah Judah. And all of the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites of the Kohathites and the Korites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Kind of an interesting picture there. Jehoshaphat and the people hit their faces in worship. Thank you, God. You've heard us. You've spoken through this prophet. The priests stand up. They start to worship the Lord. Very loud voice. Kind of a little bit of a mixture of what the, of responses there. And yet all praise, all worshiping, all focusing on God. Verse 20, The next morning they rose early, and they went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire. As they went before the army and say, Give thanks to the Lord. For his steadfast love endures forever. Now we have to stop there for just a moment and let this sink in. They all get up in the next morning. I didn't do my homework. I don't know how far they had to walk, but they had to walk to this valley, right? So they're all there. All the people, the army, the people, everybody were all there. And they get close to the edge of where the enemy is going to be. And it specifically says that Jehoshaphat takes counsel with those that are with him. I don't know how he did that, but hey, hey come here, huddle up. Who do you think should go out first? And this this kind of collective is, let's send the worship team. Now, I'm not trying to be disparaging of any worship team. Amen? But if we were getting ready to have a big fight, the enemy, who would you call out? Now, I was saying in first service, probably not Beth. No offense, Miss Beth. Dan playing the bass. I want him on my team, absolutely, yeah. Maybe if it's Dan, but, but you know, Miss Lisa, she's such a sweetheart, but I'm not, you know. Maybe if Carrie was on the worship team, but he's not on the worship team, so we couldn't be up front. They get all of the singers, you, and I'm sure it was in faith, but it was like, yeah, you guys go first. See what happens to them. We can always get more worship team members, just go ahead. No, it's just such an interesting strategy. You would never do this in the natural, and that's the point. Worship is warfare. This is not natural. This is supernatural. What's going on there? He sends them out there. They're clothed in holy attire, which is so cool. Again, remember consecration. They prepared themselves. They're ready to worship. They walk out there, and they begin to sing. By the way, this text, uh, verse twenty-one, is very similar to what it says in 2 Chronicles chapter six when the when the ark comes in. Some of the language is the same. They go out there and they sing. Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. I mean, it's not even a a kind of a warfare sounding phrase. They're just, give thanks to the Lord, his steadfast love endures forever. Now, I don't know how it went down. I don't know how many times they had to say it. But my feeling is, you know, crescendo, right? It probably started quietly and got louder and louder and louder and louder. And the people were saying it over and over again. They weren't doing anything except bringing glory to the one who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. But in the midst of that, verse 22, when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who had come against Judah so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir and devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end to the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. By the way, that is the nature of the enemy. There is no loyalty in darkness. So they, they might have conspired together against Israel, against the people of Judah, but there was no loyalty there. And however God did it, he stirred up this ambush and they killed each other off. Two of them ganged up on one and when that one was done, the other two turned on each other and they destroyed one another. It says in verse 24, When Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, to the place where you could look out, they looked toward the horde, and behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground. None had escaped. Underline none. If you're an underliner, underline none. None had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and the people came to take the spoil, they found among them in great numbers, goods, clothing, and precious things, which they took for themselves until they could carry no more. They were three days taking the spoil, it was so much. And on the fourth day, when they assembled in the Valley of Barakah, there they blessed the Lord. Therefore, the name of that valley has been called the Valley of Barakah to this day. They get together, they go out, they have a meeting, they put the worship team out front, they begin to praise, and as they praise, God moves And God does something miraculous. God does something absolutely unheard of. He goes out and he wins an army in his power as his people just give him praise. And when it's all done, they look and they see all of these dead bodies. We don't even have no idea how many. A great horde is the description that we're giving. Arguably thousands and thousands of dead bodies. They all destroyed each other. And the people of God, not one scratch on anyone. And they go down into the valley and they start despoiling the enemy and three days worth of stuff. says at the end that they, they call this valley, the Valley of Barakah, to this day because they blessed the Lord. The Lord blessed them in that place. Now the question that I have when I read these things, just like I said last week, this is the question for us here now. Is does God still do this? I mean, is it just inspirational reading. Oh, look what God did one time. That's awesome. Is it just, you know, historical reference or does God actually still do things like this? In my conclusion, you have to come to your own conclusion. I can only tell you what I believe, and I believe this that he absolutely does. Now when I say that, I admit to you that I have never been worshiping the Lord over a situation, and seeing all those people kill each other. You know, that's never happened. I've wanted it to happen, but it's not. No, I'm just kidding. Just just a little joke. I've never seen anything remotely like this. But when you think about it, isn't that kind of the thing? Isn't that kind of the, the point? Isn't that the danger? If I'm worshiping and I'm thinking, oh, I don't need to see all this stuff take place, aren't I kind of denying the realities of the kingdom of God? Because none of it is visible. It's all invisible. How much of the work of God can you actually see with your eyes? What's the kingdom of God actually like? I was just reading this morning in my regular devotions, I was reading it, and Jesus was saying, here's what the kingdom of heaven's like. It's like a woman working with bread, and she puts some yeast in. You can't see that yeast. You can only see when the yeast is there, and over time, and it, you know. The kingdom of heaven's like the... Like that field, it just looks normal, and except there's a treasure out there. Someone goes and sells everything they have to capture that field because of the treasure that you can't see. It's like that little, that little teeny seed that is so insignificant, no one even think about it. You put it in the ground, next thing you know, you've got a plant large enough for birds to land in. The kingdom is always invisible. On this side of the cross, we do not war against flesh and blood, Paul tells us but against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Just because you cannot see the battle doesn't mean there's not a fight going on. There is an unseen war being waged constantly, all of the time, all around us. The danger is is that we think, well, why would I worship? Nothing happens. Ah. You worship because something's constantly happening, whether you can see it or not. So let me give you some feedback. Three quick principles out of this. Again, there are dozens, just three that I want to share with you. Number one is this. When faced with a battle, you do not look to your own resources or abilities. We're talking about a spiritual battle. You do not look to yourself as the answer. Rather, you only look to God. You look up. I love verses one through four. There's this great horde, Jehoshaphat, and he says, Oh no, let's fast, let's pray, let's seek the face of the Lord. I love that he does not say, All right, get the army out, let's start counting heads, make sure all the swords are sharpened, make sure we have enough spears, make sure there's slings for everyone, let's recruit, let's draft some new soldiers. No, none of that. There's an immediate, complete acceptance of the fact that they're not going to win in the flesh. That's fantastic. That's the most strategic and wise thing we can do in the midst of the battle is go, I can't win this. Now, why is it that we so often think we can get halfway into fighting the battle in the flesh and then have this realization? We have got to be like him. We're just, going, nope, not fighting, not doing it. I am looking to you. I do not know what to do, but I am looking to you. Jeremiah chapter 17 says this, Cursed is a man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. That's the danger. Oh, we're getting ready to go into a battle. What are our resources? What do we got? Rather than saying, Lord, we're getting ready to go into a battle. We don't know what to do, but we look to you. People didn't trust themselves. They cried out to God, and he responded. Number two, second principle. Now, would you say the word now? Now is always the right time to worship. Now is always the right. Is it the right time to worship? Yes, yes because it's now. Right. So, it's all, so in this text, when the news comes and they all start seeking the Lord at the, at, the, um, at the temple in Jerusalem, they're there, they're seeking the Lord, they're praying. The Levite begins to prophesy. When the prophecy comes, it says, look, you're not going to have to fight this battle. The Lord's going to fight for you. All you need to do is go out there and stand and watch him display his power. When that word comes, what does Josiah and the people do? What do they? They hit Josiah. Wrong king. What does Jehoshaphat and the people do? They hit the ground and they begin to worship the Lord. That was before the battle even took place. The next morning they go out, they walk out, they recruit the worship team to lead them. The worship team begins to worship God. And as they're worshiping, the Lord sets an ambush in their midst and they destroy one another. They are worshiping during the battle. When they go out to collect the spoil, when they are gathering three days worth of free freebies, you know, they're out there getting all this stuff and it says that they're returning Jerusalem with joy, rejoicing in what the Lord had done. They worshiped before, they worshiped during, they worshiped after. Now is always the right time to worship the Lord. Well, I don't feel like worshiping. Not an issue. Doesn't make any difference. You don't have to worship ever, but I will tell you it's always the right time. Here's the thing, just to be completely honest with you. The truth of the matter is, you are either heading into a battle, you are in a battle, or you are just leaving a battle. So, it is appropriate for you to worship beforehand, worship during, and worship after. Amen? Okay, one more thing. The place where the enemy attacks will be transformed into a place of our victory. Where he focuses his attack will be renamed as a monument to God eventually. The places where you feel oh that's the weak spot don't don't disparage the weak places. The Lord will work through the weak place to bring glory to himself. I'm not saying you have to own it forever. I'm just saying oh he hit me in that tender spot. He's attacking this part. This person in my life, this family member that I love, this situation, this work thing. He's attacking there. Just understand that the the Through worship, through God's overcoming power, enacted through our willingness to not trust ourselves but look to him, that place will be renamed and have a different reputation afterward. This valley was supposed to be the valley where Judah was wiped off the face of the earth. Instead of a valley of slaughter, it became a valley of blessing. Be encouraged. The places where you feel like it's most hopeless is where God does his best work. So just look up. Trust him. I want to invite the worship team to come forward because we're going to worship, appropriate, to end our gathering. I don't know, I would follow these people definitely into battle, but. Worship is our weapon. It's not all that it is, but it is our weapon. God fights for his people in small places like prisons and in big places like in valleys where there are three armies set against. And it is the prioritizing of praise. It is, the, it is the prioritizing of worship that sets us apart from others. It says in Psalm 20, verse 7, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord. They collapse and fall, we rise and stand upright because we're not trusting in horses and chariots. King Jehoshaphat, Judah, the people of God, that is us. And when we're following the Lord, it happens. Just out of the blue, the enemy decides, let's pick on Tim today. Let's focus discouragement in his direction, even try to bring destruction that way. And just like the people of God, we get to decide what are we going to do in that moment. Will we worship? Would you stand with me? Just for a moment, would you close your eyes? Just let every distracting thing go away for a moment here. I, I want you to think with me. I want you to think about your life. I want you to think about your circumstances. I want you to think about what's happening in your family, what's happening with your friends. what's happening at your workplace. And I want you to answer this question in your heart and mind. Where is the enemy threatening right now? Where is he coming to attack? Where is he saying I'm going to wipe them out? You see it, you know, identify it. Where he's deceiving a family member, he's he's turning the heart of a friend stony, stealing resources. Seeking to bring illness or disease, whatever it is that he does, I want you to mentally identify it. That's where the enemy's coming against us. Can we not worship God in the face of that? Can we not say, like those singers did, I will give thanks to the Lord, his steadfast love endures forever? Can we not do that? Can we not do that? I want us to battle as we close the service today. I want us to to worship the Lord over those situations. I know this may feel a little bit strange to you, but I want you, even as we're singing this song, the Revelation song, we're going to sing again from from this morning. We're going to sing it. And as you're singing the words, holy, 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 you're not just singing them to, to glorify God. You're singing them as an act of defiance against hell. Say, absolutely, God, I am going to worship you in your holiness and give thanks to you because you are good. And you are gonna deal with this situation because you're a good God who cares. Worship is intercession as much as it is warfare. So I want you to think about the people that that are in your mind right now, the people you love, the circumstances that you want to see changed. And we are gonna worship God together over them. Would you pray with me, please? Father, in Jesus' name. We do not know what to do to change these circumstances, Lord, but our eyes are going to be on you. And we're going to lift you up. We're going to exalt you, God. We're going to declare in the face of hell, I don't, it doesn't matter what happens. You are worthy and you're going to do work, Lord, on behalf of your people because you love us. And you love them, the very ones that we're praying over. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. When you sing, Would you realize that the Lord loves your voice? He loves your voice. Well, I don't have a very good voice. The Lord is tone deaf. He loves your voice. He wants to see, he listens to your heart, not your mouth anyway, right? So I just want you to sing out. We're gonna start quietly and get louder. And I don't, we're not just singing this song, although it's a fantastic song. We are not just singing this song. What we're doing is we're worshiping as intercession and warfare over those situations. Amen? Can we do that? All right, let's do that.
1: Let's sing filled with wonder.
0: Filled, filled with, with wonder.
1: With wonder. Lost with
0: Lord, thank you that even though we can't see what you're doing, we know you're working. We know you're working, Lord. We know. Build our faith. Give us eyes to see what we can't see. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Extend your hands in front of you. I want to bless you before you go. Grace Church family, friends, visitors, those watching online, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are part of a holy nation and you belong to God. Go from this place declaring the praises of him who brought you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Go out of here remembering that at one time you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. At one time you had not received mercy, but now you have received his great mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. We trust that this message made a difference in your life. If you would like more information about Grace Church, be sure to connect with us by visiting grace417.com or connect with us by filling out a connection card on our app.